Good morning, church. Let me just go ahead and apologize now for the background noise. I don't have my usual microphone with me that drowns that out, so I go ahead and apologize now, but um, I want to welcome everybody. So we are in the ninth chapter of John still. This is our second week, and we are still unpacking everything in John chapter 9. So today's scripture, we are going to start in verse 13. Now at the header of my Bible, it says the Pharisees investigate the healing. So John chapter 9, verse 13. And I do apologize for my voice that is uh, starting to go out also. So when you got a, a little one who is celebrating her third birthday, and if she wants to sing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or anything else, guess what? You jump in and you do it. So bear with me today. Okay, John chapter 9, starting in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed them and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such a sign? So they were divided. Does that sound like today's church? I'm not going to get a sidetrack here. Okay, so starting in verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about this? It was your eyes that were opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent, the man, sent for the man's parents. They said, is this your son? And they said, yes. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And his parents answered, we know he is our son and we know he was born blind. But how he came to see now or who opened his eyes we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Lord. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him, and they said, You are the fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, 
We don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered. Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could not do this. To this they replied, You are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we dive into today's message, let's lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, after reading that scripture, there's simply one prayer. God, open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes so that we can fully receive everything of this message that you have for every single one of us. Lord, any distractions, we ask that you would just remove them. Give us clarity, discernment, and focus so that we can receive your message today. We ask all things in the holy and pleasing, blessed name of your risen son, Jesus. And all God's children said, Amen. So, we started this chapter last week, and, and we said that Jesus came upon the blind man. The disciples were so concerned about knowing who had sinned, and Jesus said that it wasn't the case at all. He was blind so that God could be glorified through his life. So in this passage, there's much purpose that will be revealed beginning in this week, but, but more next week, because we're going to be in John 9 next week also. Keep this in mind. This is the first key to be noted. The day this happened was the Sabbath. So please remember that. Many of you are going, oh yeah, I already got this. Checked it off as you were reading it. But this section begins with the blind man being brought before the religious leaders. He's basically held accountable for how he was healed. And I'm going to try real hard in this message not to get on the soapbox. But just if I do, just bear with me. I tell y'all all the time, I get squirrely and Jesus still loves me. So just sometimes I have to work through those thoughts. So while some religious leaders had declared this man was doing such wonders on the Sabbath that he could not be from God, but others said, how could he not be from God if, if he's doing such things? He's making the blind to see. That is clearly from God. So they're divided. So while they were um, investigating the healing, Many had already made up their minds how the outcome was going to go in this investigation. You know, I, I grew up hearing um, that this type of behavior was called good old boy syndrome. And that's where people are only out for their own prosperity in all things. So some called this healing man a sinner and others weren't sure. But they clearly wanted to make sure that their rules and the way they saw things needed to be followed. But by calling him a sinner, this was a major strike against Jesus in the eyes of the religious leaders because he healed on the Sabbath. And the fact that he did anything on the Sabbath was a major strike. Keep this in mind too. The, the only type of medical treatment 
that could be done on the Sabbath was anything to ease someone's pain or to make them more comfortable. But to heal someone meant to perform work. And these religious leaders were ready to throw hellfire and brimstone. Could you imagine breaking an arm or a leg or something like that on the Sabbath and you have to wait till the next day or actually sundown for the Sabbath to be over before anybody could could help you like to set those broken bones and and let the healing begin. But Jesus was not breaking the Sabbath. You see, the religious leaders of this period had they gosh, how am I going to say this without being on a soapbox? They were much like church folk today. Let's just say it. Many people, I know we've all experienced them, they will twist the meaning just enough to suit whatever's going on with them so that, that they look like they're in the right. These religious leaders added their own traditions to help suit them, and it was a form of control. See, nothing's changed all these years, all these generations, still the same. But keep in mind that the Jewish people were very anchored in their tradition. They, um, there was a comfort in following what was set before them as far as how their faith journey should go. And still, that's, that's today too. So many people that I've talked to just absolutely love every single little piece of tradition because they do feel anchored or um, right there with those of generations ago. Every generation has experienced something like this. The act of being um, condemned for not following exactly how someone else thinks worship should be done in order to glorify the Lord. You know, scripture's filled with instructions on how we are to be in relationship with the Lord and how we are to worship. So just to prove my point, I have two words for you, traditional and contemporary. Those two words are enough to have many people just draw the line in the sand. They'll start picking sides. Look, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just, I'm just giving you the example. I'll even go one step forward and give you two more words. Piano and organ. Can I just be honest with you? I didn't know that that was much of a deal until I had someone say, well, piano is okay, but you're supposed to be playing the organ and you're never to use any other instruments. Blew my mind. But for some churches, those two words can be enough to divide a congregation. I would even say that it's it's fairly safe to say that these types, line, uh, types of lines will continue to be drawn in the sand over stuff that some of us wouldn't even think twice about. Amen? I wouldn't have thought twice about the piano and organ, but there's tradition that you just, some feel like they have to follow, they can't vary from it. So this all boils down to what is sanctified or appropriate for worship when we come into the Lord's house. Now, look, I know I've told you this story before, but 
I think it just fits here. And some of you may not have heard this yet, but I'm going to share it. So while serving in the jail ministry, we would ask if anybody wanted to pray before we left, like pray us out. And this one lady raised her hand and we all smiled and bowed our heads and got ready. And, and I heard her take a deep breath and then my knees buckled. Okay. My knees buckled because as she took that deep breath, I heard her say, yo God, I trembled. I was waiting on lightning to strike us. I instantly started praying, God, please have mercy on all of us. Just, just those two simple words. And I'm praying that God doesn't strike us down because in my mind, that is not how you come into prayer. That is not a posture of prayer. We all have different viewpoints of different faith topics. But we cannot force anyone into a box so that they fit our views of faith. Trust me. I know I'm going to get messages, and I know many of you have my, my cell phone number. I'm going to get text messages, and that's okay. I firmly believe on Judgment Day, God will sort us all out, and on that day, we will see exactly where we were wrong, where we were right, because I'll be honest, I don't think any of, us, any of us have it all correct. I'll go a step further. As a female pastor, I've had, I've had many many times where this thought process was thrown at me. I have to remember though, the calling that God put on my heart was directly from God. God didn't ask mankind before he formed me in my mother's womb. So I have to remember that when someone doesn't agree with me being a female pastor, I still have to walk out this journey with integrity as I serve the Lord. I pray for God to, to open their heart to whatever it is, but I know the calling that God put on my life. But what I'm saying is it all boils down to some people, um, they're not doing worship, if you will, the way others think it needs to be done. So they see it as we're not giving honor and glory to the Lord properly in their faith view. You know, when we criticize others for not worshiping the way that we want or we expect, we're actually no different than the Pharisees. In verse 17, they were trying to actually pin the blind man to confess that Jesus wasn't of God. And the blind man said, Jesus was a prophet. The Pharisees were looking for, for anyone to speak out against Jesus so they would have an open door to throw that hellfire and brimstone. They were ready. Makes me think of the woman at the well where she had all of her accusers. And Jesus starts writing in the sand and he said, hey, whoever is without sin, throw the stone. I think we forget sometimes that we are not without sin. We've been redeemed, we've been saved, but we're still in a sinful flesh. So we have to walk very careful every single day. The Pharisees were doing everything possible to keep from giving God glory through this man's healing. 
the parents later even said, yes, he was born blind, and yes, he can now see, but he's of age. You ask him. You see, they had already threatened everyone. They were going to throw them out of the synagogue. They were going to throw them out, literally. They would not be able to be within their faith community. That's enough right there to make anybody not confess anything. But verse 24, they tried to actually interrogate the man by blaming Jesus to be a sinner. Now, they cannot deny that the man had been healed. They're just not trying to necessarily blame Jesus, but they're saying, hey, he broke the Sabbath, and that is not of God. They're looking for any way to twist this so that it suits them. But I love how the blind man responded. It was just beautiful. He said, I do not know if he's a sinner, but I do know that I once was blind, but now I see. This statement alone testifies to the glory of God, what the Pharisees were trying to keep from doing. And I know that all of us that have had God touch our life in some way, we could say, I once was blind, whether it was physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, but now I see. We can say, I know where I was, and now I have spiritual sight. And they tried to say that Jesus must have done some kind of trick, and they were trying to trip the man up in his words. This healed man, he had guts. He went right back at the Pharisees. The Pharisees declared where they stood in faith as followers of Moses so who does this man call Jesus think he really is? Because he is not following the path that the Pharisees wanted everyone to obey. That's, that's the key. The Pharisees wanted everyone to obey because then they're in control. But this is the best part. The man basically called the Pharisees out. And he said, this man is healing and there is much going on out there, but you're missing it because you're wrapped up in religion and legalism, basically. This blind man really is amazing. His eyes were open to Jesus, but as he stood before the Pharisees, his spiritual eyes were open because now he is seeing the religious leaders stand in their high and mighty Righteousness of unbelief. Yikes. Church, these are my questions for you. Are we open to leaving room for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives? Or are we forcing the Holy Spirit to fit into a box that's built on our unbeliefs? Because we think we need things a specific way to suit us. You know, it's real easy to push the Holy Spirit away. You know, we, th we think we've got it worked out and this is how it's supposed to go. But if we take the Holy Spirit and try to fit the Holy Spirit in the church only when it serves our purpose and our motive, 
that we're no different than the Pharisees. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Oh gosh, dear gracious Heavenly Father. So much is just flooding my heart and my mind right now. God, I pray that any time I am not being obedient, I ask that you kick my feet out from under me, sit me down. Give me that aha moment. Give me that face-to-face -face with Jesus. Prune my thoughts. Prune my ways. Prune my actions. If they don't fit in your will, and I'm not living in obedience. God, help me to grow closer to you so that I can see what you need me to continue to do so that my life does glorify you and everything I do to any anything within the community, whether it's just the church, at the gas station, or wherever. Please, God, show me how to glorify you in everything I do. And now we pray with one voice the way you taught your disciples to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, please know I'm praying for you. As we walk out this journey, just please know I'm, I'm thinking of you. I may not even know you by name. But when I log into those social media accounts and those platforms and I see that we've got new people in different states and different countries downloading these messages know that I'm praying for you and your area. So like I always say, speak life, be a blessing, put your faith feet into action to cause a positive ripple effect. Until next time, much agape everybody.